Well, have you ever noticed that your worst decisions in life are oftentimes fueled by things with strong emotional appeal? So it looks good, it feels good, it sounds good, it tastes good. And so you bought it, you ate it, you leased it, you watched it, you moved there, you dated it, you moved in with it, uh, you drank it, you smoked it, right? I mean, those things have strong appeal to us, but they oftentimes lead to some of our worst decisions. Maybe you fed it. And you're thinking, wait, fed it. I don't understand how that fits in with the rest. I'm talking about that stray dog, that cat that came up and it looked so cute and, and maybe it was injured and you fed it and you wanted to bring it in, you know, or, or, or you saw it out on the street or you saw it at the pound and it just looked so cute. And you thought we need to bring this dog home. It's a part of our family that happened to us this week. My wife was at my grandmother's house and there was a, an injured dog that came up to the house and she's feeding it and taking care of it and sending me pictures of it. And I'm like, no, babe, no, no, no more dogs. We've already got two. And one of them is an absolute menace and terror. And one of the worst decisions we've ever made in our lives is getting that dog. And so she's talking about getting a third dog. And I'm like, babe, we got three kids, two dogs. We don't need a dog per child. Okay. That's not what's going on here. We don't need any more dogs. And she's sending me pictures and saying how cute it is and how sweet it is. And there's no collar and it needs a home. And, and she's, she, she's seeing and feeling and sensing, you've been there before, right? That this strong emotional appeal and pull towards this thing or this person. And so I, I think we have it settled. You know, we're not getting, not getting this dog and I get home from work and, and she tells me, hey, we, we got the dog. And I'm like, what? No, 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 no. I thought, I thought we agreed. There, there is no more dogs and no more dogs. And she's like, no, it's in the backyard. You know, I couldn't help it. We brought it home. And I'm like, no way. We got to get rid of this dog. And I'm upset and talking about how we can't afford this dog. We don't need this dog. And she says, I'm just joking. I was like, oh my gosh. Like you got me so worked up for nothing. Right. But that's what things with strong emotional appeal do to us until that day they lose their appeal, right? And I've got a dog who's totally lost its appeal on me. I mean, I, I've got one dog and I, it, there's nothing appealing to me about this dog anymore. And then when they lose their appeal, what do we want to do? We want to get rid of it. We want to sell it. We want to get rid of him. We want to get rid of her. We want him to move out, right? Because it's lost its appeal. So, so how about, how about we just not do that anymore, right? How, how, how about we, we not be victims, prisoners, captives to the things that are appealing? Why? Because oftentimes things that are appealing are just a pathway to a prison. In this series, here's what we've been saying. We've been saying that your decisions today determine your destination. So you can actually predict your future. You can predict your future. And the Bible says you can. How? Because you can look at your decisions today and your decisions today are determining your destination. And we've said in this series, there's two different tracks to two different futures, two different tracks, two different futures. Jesus said there's a wide road that most people are on, but it leads to destruction. And then Jesus said, there's a narrow road, a narrow path, a narrow track very few people are on that road, that path, that track, but, but it leads to life. Few people are on this narrow road that, that leads to life. Now that's true when it comes to eternity and where you're going to spend eternity. It's also true, even for us as believers in every area of our life, whether it's education or sports or finances or at home relationships, there's, there's two different tracks. 
There's God's way, God's best, which leads to life and prosperity, fruitfulness. But then there's a track in every area of our life that leads to death and destruction, pain and regret. But the great news is that you can get off that wide road, whatever road you might find yourself on that's headed to destruction, that's headed to death. You can get off that road and by following Jesus or coming back to Jesus, coming back home to Jesus, you can get back on that narrow road that leads to life, abundant life, eternal life. Two different tracks, two different futures. You can tell, you can predict your future by just looking at your decisions today because your decisions today are determining your destination. Now we said last week, well, but listen, that may be true, but I'm just going to kind of step over here and I've got great intentions to go that direction, but this is just a diversion, right? I mean, I'm just going to engage in this. I'm going to indulge in this. I'm going to do this. It's not the direction I'm actually headed. Uh, This is just a diversion. And we said, that's what we tell ourselves. That's what we like to tell ourselves anyways, when we're making decisions that aren't in line with the direction that we actually want to head. And so we tell ourselves, well, I've got great intentions and I promise things are going to change. I, I, I promise. We tell ourselves that we tell other people that we said when there's a gap between our intentions and our direction, we've got a big problem. We've got a big problem. When there's a gap, we're just fooling ourselves. We're telling ourselves we're actually headed one direction, but, but we're really not. We're telling ourselves this is just a diversion, but no, it's a decision that's determining a destination. And so in this series, we've talked about what does that gap look like today? Here's what I want you to, here's what I want you to consider. Here's what I want you to think about. Why is there a gap? Why is there a gap between what we intend, what we want, where we would like to be and where we're actually headed, the decisions we're actually making today. Why is there a gap? Here's why, because it's appealing. The diversion that causes the gap is always appealing. It looks good, it feels good, it tastes good, it smells good, it sounds good, it's always appealing. And that appeal towards that direction causes there to be a gap. It causes us to change directions. Well, I want you to see more about the danger of appeal in the scripture today. If you got your Bible, go to Proverbs chapter seven. If you don't have a Bible, the verses will be on the screen. They're also in our app. Now's a great time to open up our app, the City Church Lubbock. You can download it in your app store. The verses, the points, everything will be there. You can follow along and fill in the blank as we go. Take your own notes there as well. And you can email yourself those notes later. But I want you to see the danger in what's appealing, being a victim to what's appealing, because what starts out as appealing usually becomes a pathway. It usually becomes a prison. So Proverbs chapter seven, this is written by Solomon, King Solomon. He was the son of King David and the kingdom under Solomon continued to grow, continued to prosper and flourish under his leadership. And Solomon was known to be one of the wisest men to ever live. Kings, leaders, queens, people from all over the world would come to listen to Solomon. They would ask him questions and hear what he had to say. And people all over the world recognized this is a man of wisdom. So I want you to hear some wisdom from Solomon, King Solomon this morning. Solomon says this, while I was at the window of my house, looking through the curtain, I saw some naive young men and one in particular who lacked common sense. So I saw this group of dudes 
And there is this one, they're all naive, but there's this one, man, he takes the cake. <laughs> there, there's one, I mean, they, they, they all lack, they're all naive, but there's this one dude, Solomon says, there's this one guy, I can spot him, I can see him. Man, he's head and shoulders above the rest. This guy is stupid with a capital S, okay? He's head and shoulders, all right, above the rest. He was crossing the street near the house of an immoral woman. Here's what we know by context. Uh, this was a known street. It was a known house. This was a known woman. Okay. They know where they're headed. This isn't on accident. They know the street they're heading down. They know the house they're going to pass. They know the woman that lives in this house because she's got a name for herself. Okay. And you're about to know why you're about to see why. And I'm sure you can guess why this woman has a name for herself. They're walking down the street of this immoral woman strolling down the, what's this word? Oh man, it's 1130 guys. Come on. Nine and 10. They, they were a lot better than that. All right. Hey, it's, I know it's labor day, but you're gonna have to wake up a little bit. Okay. Strolling down the path. They're heading down a path. No, no, no. It's just a diversion. There's nothing wrong with this path. What are you talking about? A path? I'm not heading down a path. Solomon says, no, no, no. They're walking down a path. They don't even realize it. They're walking down this path by her house. It was at twilight in the evening as deep darkness Fell. Do you hear the Jaws music? Dunna, 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 right? I mean, it's like, it's, it's like watching the scary movie. And, and the, the actor, the actress, they're, they're like running into the basement where there's no, nowhere else to go. And they're headed right towards the killer and they're going to be trapped. And you're like, no, don't do it. Stop going that way. There's a car out front. Just go to the car and drive away. Stop running around this property. Don't go hide in the basement where you can't get out, right? You're saying, don't do it. Stop. It's like the... My, Dwight saying Michael, Michael Scott from the office said, told him, you know, Hey, if, if an idiot would do that thing, then, then don't do it. Right. I don't know about you. I've told my kids that I thought that was great advice. Sounds like something Solomon would say, if an idiot would do that thing and the answer is yes, then, then you don't do that thing. Right. Okay. We've got some idiots on our hands. Okay. And they're walking right into the trap. Okay. So let's see what happens next. The woman approached him seductively dressed and sly of heart. She was the brass rebellious type, never content to stay at home. She's often in the streets and the market soliciting at every corner. She threw her arms around him and kissed him. And with a brazen look, she said, I've just made my peace offerings and fulfilled my vows. Now you're probably wondering that doesn't seem to fit with the rest of the story. Like she's dressed seductively. She's enticing She's seducing them. She's putting her arms around him. And then she says this, I mean, guys, just imagine some girls, you know, coming on to you, whatever. And she puts her on and she's like, I just made my peace offerings. And you're like, what? <laughs> that just doesn't fit the rest of the picture. Like guys, I'm just guessing you've never gone up to a girl and said, man, you've got some nice peace offerings. I really like the peace offerings. Okay. I'm just guessing that's never happened. It doesn't fit with the rest of this story. Here's what she's saying. Here's what she's saying. I've been to the temple. I've made my offerings and sacrifices. I've gotten my sin bucket emptied out. So let's fill it right back up. Okay. I've emptied the sin bucket. Let's fill it back up because listen, we can, we can do this. We can engage in this. We can indulge in this and then just go right back to church the next week, kind of get all that taken care of. And then we can go right back to the way we were living before there doesn't have it. We can be inconsistent is what she's saying. Right. I mean, this is totally, it's totally the weirdest thing to, to put in the middle of this. Like I've been to church. She's saying I've been to the temple. I've made my peace offerings. 
So I've done the spiritual thing. I've been through the routine. So now we can do whatever we want, right? And people, we, we do that all the time, right? Well, I can, I'm, I'm going to go and live however I want to do, make whatever decisions I want to make, uh, sin however I want to sin, even with the best of them. And I'll just go right back to church the next week or maybe next month or maybe in a few months and I'll get all that kind of right and taken care of. And uh, then I'll go right back to the way I was living before. And that's what she's saying here, that, that, that you can do that. That there can be this inconsistent double life. And so she's saying, let's fill her right back up. My sin has been forgiven. So let's just take advantage of the grace of God all over again this week. Let's keep going. She says this, you're the one I was looking for. <laughs> you're the one. Yeah, I, I may go out on the street and put my arm around everybody and seduce everybody, but you're the one. You're, you're really the one. All those other guys, like they were kind of the one, but you're really the one. I came out to find you and here you are. My bed is spread with beautiful blankets, with colored sheets of Egyptian linen. I've perfumed my bed with myrrh and aloes and cinnamon. Come, let's drink our fill of love until morning, she says. And this guy, I guess the guy's thinking she's stroking his ego, his pride. And this guy's thinking in his mind, I am so special. And Ron Howard, the narrator, steps in and says, no, 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 dude, you are an idiot. You're not special. There's nothing special about you. Like you're stupid. Like you're, you're an idiot. He's thinking, man, I'm one in a million. And Ron Howard, the narrator saying, no, dude, you're one of a million. There's no one in a million about it. You're one of a million. Isn't it amazing how things that are appealing to us, things that feel good, look good, sound good, how, how they begin to change like our mind and our thinking and actually make us dumber, right? It's like it drops our IQ. He's, this dude's thinking he's one in a million. He's special. When anyone who reads the story knows that's absolutely not the case. Every outsider in the world reads the story and they're like, no, 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 dude, you're not, there's nothing special about you. You're one, you're one of a million. She says this, let's enjoy each other's caresses for my husband is not home. He's away on a long trip. He's taken a wallet full of money with him and won't return until later this month. Here's what she's saying. My husband's gonna be gone for a while, so there's nothing to worry about. If we don't get caught, there won't be any consequences. We can do whatever we want and things will turn out all right. Because it's only wrong if you get caught. There's only consequences if you get caught is what she wants him to think. Let's keep going. So she seduced him with her pretty speech and enticed him with her flattery, continuing to stroke the ego, that pride flattering him, making him feel good. He followed her at once. <laughs> I love this. Like an ox going to the slaughter. She's flattering him. She's seducing him. And he's just, go, he's just all for it, man. He's just eating it all up, right? And Solomon says he doesn't even realize he's going like an ox to the slaughter, like a stag caught in a trap, awaiting the arrow that would pierce its heart. He was like a bird flying into a snare, little knowing it would cost him his life. So listen to me, my sons, and pay attention to my words. Don't let your hearts stray away toward her. Don't wander down her wayward path. There it is again. You're headed down the wrong path. No, it's just a diversion. I'm not, I'm not going this direction. It's just a diversion. 
No, dude, you're making decisions that are determining your destination. You're gonna end up a place you don't like. For she has been the ruin of many. Many men have been her victims. Her house is the road. It's a road to the grave. Her bedroom is the den of death. She seduced him. She flatters him. She looks good. It sounds good. It feels good. What's appealing often ends up being a trap that leads to a slaughter. What's appealing is often a pathway to destruction. It's not just a diversion. We can say all day long, no, 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 it's just diversion. Like I've got great intentions. Like I promise that's not the direction I'm headed. But Solomon says, no, no, no. Her house is a road. It's a highway. It's a path. It's a track. It's actually taking you Somewhere, It's not just a diversion. You're headed in a direction and you're going to end up in a destination you don't like. You see, here's what the naive man didn't understand. He didn't understand this, the principle of the path. We've talked about this each week in this series. He didn't understand the principle of the path. First of all, what's a principle? Let me remind you, a principle is something that happens to you. It's something that's experienced. And so... I gave you the example of Archimedes' principle of buoyancy. He explains something that had always been true. It had always been the case. Why certain things float and other things sink. Now, here's what you can do with a principle. Here's the great news. You can leverage a principle to your benefit. You can ignore it, though, to your demise. Because a principle is something that happens to you. And when you hear this principle explained, it makes sense. It makes sense because it explains something that's always been the case. You just now have words to describe it. And so you can leverage Archimedes' principle of buoyancy to your benefit and you can go on a cruise. Or you can ignore his principle and you will drown to your death. And that's the way a principle works. And the principle of the path we said in this series is this, is that your direction, not your intentions, determine your destination. It's your direction. It's your daily decisions that are determining a direction and that leads to a destination. Not your intentions, not your promises, not what you're telling yourself, not what you're telling other people. It's your direction, not your intention, determines your destination. That's the principle of the path. And last week we talked about the gap, the gap between intentions and directions. And again, we said when there's a gap there, you're in danger. You're lying to yourself. You're fooling yourself. You're lying to other people when there's a gap between your intentions and your direction. This week we're saying, why is there a gap? The reason there's a gap is because that thing that you got diverted on is appealing. It's appealing. It's got strong emotional appeal, physical appeal. But here's what you've got to understand about the principle of the path today. The path to be avoided is always paved with strong emotional appeal. The path to be avoided. Most of us think, no, 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 that's the right path. If it looks good, feels good, sounds good, tastes good, uh, that's the path that I should head down because it's appealing. But I hope you hear God telling you this morning, no, 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 no. The path to be avoided is always paved with strong emotional appeal. It's newer, it's faster, it's better. And listen, the reason something are or is appealing are not bad in and of themselves, but listen to me, they're not enough. They're not enough. 
Appealing will always lower your defenses and raise your defensiveness. And so that's why when people start to point out the gaps between your intentions and your promises and what you're saying and your actual decisions and your direction, when people start to point those things out or when you start to see them, you get real defensive and you fight back and you want to argue and you want to say, no, that's not the case. Why is that? Because appealing always raises your defensiveness. And at the same time, it lowers your defenses in turn, lowering your IQ. And so on the backside, that thing that you thought was appealing that you now realize isn't so appealing anymore causes you to say things like, how could I have been so what? Fill in the blank. How could I have been so stupid? You said it, not me. Okay. I didn't say you said that. Right. I mean, when something loses its appeal and it tricked us, right? We're, we're, when we're a victim, when we're captive, when we're prisoner to something that's appealing and all of a sudden it loses its appeal, we, we always feel duped and tricked and we always tell ourselves, right? Hindsight is twenty twenty. We always look back and we say, how can I have been so stupid? Because appealing always lowers your defenses and it raises your defensiveness. And when we say, how could I have been so stupid? Here's what we're actually saying. We just don't realize it. Appealing isn't always satisfying. You, you don't, you may not realize that's what you're saying, but that's what you're saying. That's what you mean when you look back and you say, how could I have been so stupid? What you're confessing, what you're admitting is this truth. Appealing isn't always satisfying. Here's something else you realize on the backside. Appealing isn't a substitute for satisfying. I'm not satisfied. So that which I thought was appealing didn't satisfy me. So it's not always satisfying and appealing isn't a substitute for satisfying because usually on the backside, you realize you're not satisfied and you think, man, I'd rather be satisfied than not satisfied. So that which was appealing, you learn on the backside, unfortunately, wasn't even a substitute for satisfying. So watch this. If you're distracted by what is on the path, you'll be distracted from where the path has taken you. If you get distracted by something or someone on the path, then you'll be distracted from where the path is actually taking you. You'll be tempted to opt for what's appealing over what's ultimately satisfying. So watch this. Here's what you got to understand about appealing. Appealing is a red flag, not a green light. That's the big idea today. That's what you got to catch. Appealing is always a red flag not a green light. I think most of us, if we're honest, when we see something that's appealing, it's green light. But what I hope you see today from God's word is that appealing is a red flag. It's not a green light. So what's the alternative? What's the alternative to living according to what's appealing, being a victim to what's appealing? What's the alternative? How, how do we fight against this? Cause I don't know about you, but this is, I, I feel like this is a losing battle for me most of the time. I think, and I think if we're honest, a lot of us would say that it's just a different area of life for all of us. So, so how do we fight this battle? How, how do we not become victims to that, which is appealing? Well, Paul writes in Galatians five, verse 13, he says, you, my brothers and sisters were called to be free. Let's stop there for a second. And here's what I want you to know. If you grew up on a version of Christianity that didn't feel the experience wasn't freeing to you, wasn't liberating to you, then you grew up on the wrong kind. 
A lot of people look at Christianity, they look at Christians and it's like, uh, all they care about is the do's and the don'ts and, and doing all these and keeping you in line and following all the rules. And there's nothing that seems freeing about that. But Paul says here in Galatians chapter five, verse 13, you're called to be free. God wants to set you free. Every last one of you today, God wants you to walk and experience freedom today. He wants to liberate you. A lot of people look at the scripture. They look at God. They're like, no, 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 from the outside, maybe. And maybe it's because we've done a poor job of representing the truth of the gospel message. They, they look at it. And sometimes they look at you, they look at me and they see our lives and it doesn't look all that freeing. It doesn't look all that liberating. Sometimes I think to people looking in from the outside, it, I think if people look at our lives, it looks like duty and religion and law and something that produces hate in us. It doesn't appear to be something that, that sets you free. Listen, the truth of the scriptures that God wants to set you free. But Paul says this, and it kind of seems backwards. It seems a little counterintuitive, but he says this, but don't use your freedom to indulge the flesh. And that's just a kind of a Bible way of saying, don't be a victim to what's appealing. You don't do, you don't, you don't do whatever feels good, looks good, sounds good, smells you, you, you don't do whatever feels good. You don't, you don't run after anything that's appealing, whatever's appealing to you. Don't use your freedom. God wants to set you free, but but don't use your freedom, Paul says, to indulge the, the flesh. It's a way of talking about our selfish desires, these natural inclinations and things that we want to do, the things that we like, the things that we love even sometimes. Paul is saying those things aren't always good for you. That which is appealing isn't always satisfying. It's not always what God wants for you. And so in verse 16, here's what he says. Here's the answer. So I say, walk by the Spirit. Now, if you haven't grown up in church or read a lot of the Bible, whatever, this could seem kind of creepy, maybe spooky. Like, what, what are we talking, a spirit? Are we talking about ghosts and stuff? Well, well no, here, here's what Paul is saying here. When you give your life to Jesus, the Bible says you receive the Holy Spirit. It's the presence of God living inside of you. In the old covenant, the presence of God, God, the house of God was the temple. And that's where the presence of God resided. And that's where you went to, to meet with God and to worship God. And, and, and Paul says, but in the new covenant, and this was prophesied all throughout the old covenant, but there would be a new covenant. And Paul's saying, no, now in the new covenant, you walk in step with the spirit. You're, you're led by the spirit of God that lives and indwells you. It's inside of you. And so the Holy Spirit in the life of a believer will, will nudge you always away from sin and to holiness. The, the Holy Spirit will always move your heart to love and follow and worship God. That, that's what the Holy Spirit will, will do in your heart. And so if that's not there, then it, it should lead you to wonder or question like, man, I don't really ever hear from God. I don't really feel like God's leading me or nudging me or, or pushing me in a direction. That, that should tell you something. Maybe you've never given your life to Jesus before. Maybe you've been playing a religious church game or something. Because when a Christian hears that God will speak to them and nudge them, 
nudge them in their heart and through a still small voice, push you in a direction and give you a hatred for sin and a love for holiness and an excitement about worshiping God and an excitement about spending time in God's word and an excitement for prayer and giving and serving. Uh, Christians get excited about those things and people from the outside should be looking and say, why? What, what, what are you, why are you excited about that? I didn't plan to talk about this, but there was a, a man in our church this week who passed away. His name is Mark Langford. He struggled with health problems over the last couple of years, on and off. He couldn't always be here, but when he, when he wasn't here, he'd watch online and his wife told me he, she would, he would stand in his living room and worship with us as he watched online. When he was here, his face was lit up like he was so excited to be here. When he was leaving every week, he would tell me about how much he loved it. This, it was like watching a kid on the night before Christmas. That's how much he loved being here and worshiping God. And I think most people would look at that and be like, why, well, where's that coming from? That's the new covenant. God places his spirit within us and it changes us from the inside out and it gives us new passions and new desires. It gives us a hatred for sin and a love for holiness. It gives us a love for the things of, the, of heaven. It, it, it gives us disdain for the things of this world because we know the things of this world are just passing away. And they aren't gonna last. That's what the Holy Spirit does inside of us. Paul told Christians in, Corinthians, in, in, in Corinth, he said, hey, listen, you are now the temple of God. God's presence lives inside of you. That's the Holy Spirit. And that's the new covenant. That God would take our heart of stone out and give us a heart of flesh that's sensitive to him, that loves him. And God said, I'm gonna move you from the inside out by the power of my Holy Spirit. And so a Christian walks by the Spirit. They receive and they listen and they respond to those nudges from God that give us a hatred for sin and a love for holiness and for the things of the God. And so Paul says, so walk by the Spirit and then what? And then you will not gratify the desires of your flesh. You don't wanna be a victim to what's appealing, then you've gotta walk in the Spirit. You've got to walk by the spirit. You've got to keep in step with the spirit. You've got to listen to the Holy Spirit's voice and follow that nudge and follow that direction. And Paul says, when you do that, you won't gratify the desires of your flesh. You won't be a victim to what's appealing. Watch this for the flesh desires. Make sure you get this. The flesh desires what is contrary to the spirit and the spirit, what is contrary to the flesh. They are in conflict with each other so that you are not to do whatever you want. Paul says often what we want to do, the things that we like, the things that we love are not the things that God has for us. They're not God's best for us. And those things that we think are appealing aren't actually freeing at all. They're just a prison and they're not what God wants for us. The scripture says the heart is deceptive. It's deceitful above all else. And so your heart, your emotions will lead you astray. The things that are appealing in this life will lead you astray. They will only lead you to pain and regret, just like the young man in our story. And so Paul says, you, you don't just do whatever you want to do. No, Christians are led by the Holy Spirit. And then he says, but if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. Here's what's wild. Here's what's so freeing about following Jesus. There is one rule. One rule. 
walk by the spirit. If you walk by the spirit, you won't gratify the desires of your sinful nature. If you walk by the spirit, if you're led by the spirit of God, you will love the Lord your God with all of your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and you will love your neighbor as yourself. One rule. How freeing is that? One rule, be led by the spirit. And if you're led by the spirit, then you won't gratify the desires of your sinful nature, of your flesh. You won't be a victim to that which is appealing. There's a war going on inside of us between what's appealing to our flesh and what the Holy Spirit is leading us to do. And so what often seems appealing isn't actually good for us. And it's not what God wants. Oftentimes what's appealing isn't actually freeing. It's not ultimately satisfying. It may look good. It may sound good. It may feel good, but it will not be ultimately satisfying. But here's what is both appealing and satisfying. Watch this. The results of being led by the Holy Spirit, but the fruit of the Spirit, the results of the Holy Spirit is love, joy, peace, forbearance, which is patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control against such things. There is no law there. You don't need laws. You don't need rules. If you're led by the Holy spirit, how freeing is that those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. In other words, those who follow Jesus, those who've given their life to Jesus have crucified what they want. They've picked up their cross. They've crucified themselves. It's no longer me who lives, it's Christ who lives within me. This is not about what I want anymore. I'm denying myself and I'm following Jesus. And that's what a Christian does. But let me ask you this. Does this sound appealing to you? Go back one, Chase. Does this sound appealing to you? Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. I, I think anyone, whether you're a follower of Jesus or not, I think anyone would look at that list and be like, uh, yeah, I'll take some of that. All right. I mean, that sounds good. That looks good. Here's what we're saying. This is appealing and it's ultimately satisfying. You want to marry this. Single, you're looking, <laughs> looking for somebody. You, this is what you want this, that you want to marry someone like this. My guess is you, you, you want this to be true in your life. You would love for this to be true in your spouse's wife, life, right? I mean, don't no elbows or anything like that. Don't, don't look at them right now. I see some of you looking, don't turn your head. Okay. What, why, what, why would we, because this is appealing. This is appealing and it's ultimately satisfying. It's ultimately free. If you're led by the spirit, you get appealing and satisfying. There, there's no regrets in this list. There's no pain here. This is appealing and satisfying. So, so let me ask you a question. Have you become so enamored by something or someone on your path that you failed to recognize where the path you were on is taking you? 
Have you become so enamored by something that's, that's appealing, that looks good, feels good, sounds good, on your path, that you fail to recognize where the path that you're on is taking you? And as you consider that, here's my challenge for you today. Surrender appealing for satisfying. Surrender appealing for satisfying. Here's why. Watch this. When you go for appealing alone, and remember, these things aren't always bad in and of themselves. They're just not enough. But when you surrender satisfying for appealing, when you choose appealing, when you go for appealing, you get neither. Because things that are appealing always lose their appeal. You get, you get neither when you go for this. But when you surrender appealing for satisfying, you always get both. You always get both. So surrender appealing for a satisfying and you get both. You know, thousands and thousands of people thought Jesus was very appealing. They loved the things that he did for them right? I mean, he's feeding them. He's healing them. Who wouldn't love someone like that? That's very appealing, right? Heal me, heal my family, heal my friends. Give me something to eat, right? I mean, that's really appealing. And so thousands and thousands, thousands of people would follow Jesus. In fact, uh, most scholars believe that the story of Jesus feeding the 5,000 and the 4,000, that those numbers were just a count of men. It was just the cultural thing to do in that day. And that the crowds were actually numbered, numbering women and children, probably closer to 15,000 people that are on that mountainside listening to Jesus that he is feeding. And that's how many people came to listen to Jesus. That's how many people were walking with him and following Jesus. It was, it, the, this gospel say crowds and crowds of people from all over the region were following Jesus. And it's understandable, right? All the things he was doing, it's pretty appealing. But then Jesus started to say this to the crowds. If you want to follow me, you got to deny yourself, pick up your cross and follow me. And people were like, whoa, that's, that's not real appealing. Jesus that didn't really feel good anymore. That that's not easy. That didn't sound good. And the gospels say that they turned away and they quit following him. One of those times, again, crowds and crowds of people. Jesus said, hey, if you want to follow me, you've got to eat my flesh and drink my blood. And they're like, what? Uh, that's... Weird, creepy, scary, and sounds very, very difficult. And we don't want really any part of that. And what Jesus was saying was, if you're going to follow me, it means recognizing and realizing that I alone can satisfy you. That I'm going to be your food. I'm going to be your drink. And you're not going to find satisfaction anywhere but, but me. That's a hard confession to make. And so the scripture says that many people turned away from Jesus that day. And they actually, here's what they actually said. This is a hard teaching. This is hard. What, what are they saying? That's not very appealing. <laughs> that doesn't sound good anymore. And they made a decision based off of what was appealing. And so Jesus turns to his disciples, the 12, and he says, are you going to leave me too? What, what about you? Are you going to leave me? And I love what Peter says. P Peter tells Jesus, he says, Jesus, uh, you have the words of life. We have nowhere else to go. 
Here's what Peter was saying. Jesus, you alone will set us free. You alone are satisfying. We have nowhere else to go. There is nowhere else to go. You are the way, the truth, and the life. No one experiences life, abundant life, eternal life, except through you. You alone are the way to satisfying. We have nowhere else to go. My challenge for you in this series is to surrender your direction to a new director. Surrender your direction to a new director. We said last week that we've got to confess, we've got to humble ourselves and confess that we don't know the way, we don't know the steps to take. And the invitation is not one, two, three. It's not do this, do that, stop doing this, stop doing that, do better, try harder, clean this up. That's not the invitation. The invitation from Jesus is follow me, not one, two, three. This new direction that we've been challenging you to go throughout this whole series is a new relationship. It's not a one, two, three. It's a follow me. It's a new relationship. That's the invitation. That was, that's always Jesus's invitation to the worst of the worst, to the most religious. It's follow me, not one, two, three. Surrender your direction to a new director. This is about a person. This is about a new relationship that you're giving yourself to, that you're committing yourself to. And some of you are here today and you've never given your life to Jesus before. And I believe that today is your day to give your life to Jesus. You see, a lot of people think that if they're a good enough person, that they'll go to heaven when they die. If their good deeds outweigh their bad deeds, then, then God will let them into heaven. And the Bible is clear. Salvation is not a reward for the good things that we've done. That's Ephesians 2, verse 8 and 9. So good people don't go to heaven. Forgiven people do. And you're forgiven of your sin when you give your life to Jesus because it was Jesus who died on the cross to pay the fine for your sin. It was Jesus who rose from the grave, conquering death, conquering the grave itself. And so the scripture says this in Romans 10 verse nine, if you confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God rose him, uh, rose him from the grave, you will be saved. Your sin will be forgiven, past, present, and future. You can know for sure that when you die, you're going to heaven because you gave your life to Jesus. But Romans 10, 9 says, if you confess that Jesus is Lord, that, that means you're, you're giving yourself to a new director, a new master who's the Lord of your life. that you follow. As we saw in week one, Jesus said in Matthew seven, if you listen to my teaching, you obey me, you, you, you follow me, it'll be like building your house, building your life on the rock. It's following him. And so I'm inviting you into a new relationship for some of you for the very first time to give your life to Jesus, that you might be forgiven of your sin, so that you can get on that narrow road that leads to life. And if that's you, I would challenge you, go on our app, fill out our connect form and check that box that says you're giving your life to Jesus. That's the way of letting us know about your decision so that we can follow up with you and celebrate that decision with you.
some of you are here today and you've given your life to Jesus, but in the words of Solomon in Proverbs chapter seven, your heart has strayed away. And Solomon tells the young man in the story, don't let your heart stray away. The words of the old hymn, Come Thou Fount, says our hearts are prone to wonder, prone to leave the God we love. That's true about me. I don't, know, I don't know about you, but my heart is prone to wander away. Well, I hope you hear God telling you today from Saul through Solomon, don't let your heart wander, stray away. Jesus said everything that we do and say, Every decision we make comes out of the overflow of what's in our heart. We need God to change our hearts. If you've strayed away, if you've gotten diverted from the direction you'd like to head, you've gotten diverted by something that was appealing. Then today, make it your prayer. God, change my heart. Draw me back to yourself. My heart has wandered away after that which is appealing, but it's not satisfying and it's not even free. So change my heart. Draw me back to you. Just like you said you would do in the new covenant, you would give me a heart of flesh. You would move in my heart and convict me of sin and give me a passion for holiness and righteousness. God, change my heart. And so maybe that's you this morning. Would you make that your prayer? God, help me to choose. Help me to surrender what's appealing for what's ultimately satisfying. God, I pray this morning that by the power of your Holy Spirit, you would change our hearts. You would give us a desire for that which is ultimately satisfying, that we might experience something that's appealing and satisfying. And so God, this morning, would you just reveal to us a path that we're on that is headed to destruction, that's a trap, that's a snare, Would you show us the path and where that path is taking us? And God, by the power of your spirit, would you give us the power? Would you give us the ability, the heart to surrender what's appealing for what's satisfying today? God, I pray that every one of us would be led by your spirit this week, that we would be led by your spirit into the fruit of the spirit, into freedom, into joy, into peace and patience and kindness and goodness and self-control. God, thank you for calling us to live in freedom this week. And God, I pray that we would take you up on your word. It's in your name we pray, amen.